ready to create and grow the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. A bigger audience, more impact, and a new revenue stream. We'll show you how. I'm Jenny Barcelos. And I'm Sandy Connery. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. everyone, and welcome to episode 23 of the Soulful MBA podcast. Today's episode is all about truth. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Conry. Hey, Sandy. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everybody. And we're so excited to talk about this. We have been sort of having our own little articles club going on where we find really interesting articles and blog posts that we share with each other. And usually we had nothing to do with those things other than tweet them. But now we talk about them sometimes on the podcast. So I think it's, you know, we're all sort of digitally absorbed all the time and exposed to so many great ideas and great thinkers. And we're sort of always like sitting there you know, on our phones or in front of our screens reading these things and not really having the capacity to talk about what we're reading very often. So this is, anyway, this is one of those episodes where we've decided to sit down and discuss an article that we came across that we found particularly helpful and meaningful. Yeah. Instead of a book club, we have an article club. Yeah. Joanna Goddard talks about this from the Cup of Joe blog, which is one of my Mm -hmm. favorite lifestyle blogs. So I was like, huh, maybe we should have an articles club blog. Club. I think it's smart because it's just, you know, obviously there's a lot less time reading an article than a a blog and there's, or than a, uh, than a book. And there's so many good uh, publications out there now, right? Like every it's, yeah, there's so many good things. And somehow you have this magical skill of finding these really fabulous and interesting and sort of sometimes controversial, you know, articles. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how many, how many blogs do you follow? I don't think I should answer that question publicly. <laughs> I refuse to answer. A lot of blogs. I love blog. I love the blogs. Yeah. I well. So this this article is coming from Design Sponge, which is a blog I've been following for a really long time, probably like eight years, seven years, or something. And I know a lot of probably a lot of you all listening follow this blog as well. And Grace Bonney is is the founder of this blog, and she wrote a book last year called In the Company of Women, which if you haven't seen it, is a book that we'll link to in the show notes. But it's wonderful. I received it as a gift, um, and I was really glad because I was going to buy it for myself if I didn't get it for Christmas from someone else. And it's just profiling all kinds of makers and entrepreneurs and women creators in their home or in their place of work and, and profiling with, with beautiful images and also great questions and answers about what it's like to um, kind of do your own thing as a creative and, and as an entrepreneur. So I know that's a super popular book, but the article we wanted to talk about today is, was featured on the Design Sponge blog, and it's called 10 Things People Don't Talk About in Business But Should. And we've done, we've written a couple of posts or done webinars before on you know, the lessons we've learned in our first couple of years in business. And I think this is a similar conversation, but I also think there's something a little bit taboo about this article about like, well, we're actually going to peel back the layers and talk about the things that no one else is talking about. Yeah, I think it's, it's important and it's not the things when I read the title, what she talked about her little list was not what I thought it was going to be. So I think, I think it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a good conversation. Wait, so what surprised you? 
Um, some of the stuff like like about the contracts, you know, oh, yeah. so, like that, that kind stuff of stuff. It's not as fun to Sandy. <laughs> contracts. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> if it's people, bring it on. But if it's contracts, no, yeah, I don't, I don't really care about that stuff. Yeah. You know, like it just wasn't. I don't know what I expected, but anyway, let's go through these. Let's go through them. So basically, Grace Bonnie goes through 10 different truths that she's learned that no one talks about from being an entrepreneur and sort of building this digital empire. And we're going to riff on the ones that she mentions and sort of give you an idea of what our own are as well. So the first one, the first one's kind of a doozy, Sandy. The hmm. first point she makes is that hiring is as important as firing and both are hard. So, mm -hmm. yeah, truth. Yeah, truth. <laughs> hiring is, is so hard. Hiring is seems to be fun. Like you think that it would be fun. Like, yeah. oh, let's get a new team member. Let's get someone in. And, you know, you sort of dream about what that person can do for you and how they're going to help you. And it's going to free up this time. And then so often they are not what you thought or they don't fit in with your team or, you know, they don't have the skill that you thought and you end up firing them. So, I mean, this is probably a bit more foreign to you than to me because I've had so many, having had a retail business in the past, hiring and firing were, you know, I was going to say daily, but it wasn't quite that, but monthly, easily monthly. I can't and even imagine. It's exhausting. And it is one of the reasons I got out of that business because well, I was telling you this morning that I swore that I would never have another business where I had to hire staff whose the job that I was hiring for was not their career. Mm -hmm. It was like their, you know, part-time job as they went to school and they just didn't take it seriously. It was exhausting. So I only wanted to work with people. If I had another business, the people I would hire, I'd be hiring them because this is what their career is. This is important work to them. This is what yeah. they're meant to do. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I, I, it's different because I didn't have a retail business or brick and mortar, but I still think it's really hard. It's one of the most challenging things about being the CEO of this company so far for me. And I will also say that even before starting this business, when I was in academia and in sort of the nonprofit space, I would get approached all the time from people wanting to have internships and I felt, I, it felt the same way then. Like, I don't have, I, you know, I, maybe I don't have the personality for it to be a mentor that way. I mean, there's certainly certain students that I, I did feel like I played that role for, but for the most part, it was just exhausting for me to even think about bringing someone on as, as an intern into our organization, because it was, it was so much work for me to figure out how to supervise them or to be a good resource for them to make sure they were getting what they needed out of the experience. But I was also getting what I needed and not devoting mm -hmm. too much time to supervising. I mean, I just think like regardless of what you do and what your business is about and at what scale you're at, this is an issue. You know, Sandy, yeah. I even remember when we first met, when we were both building our companies independently and I feel like everyone we knew in the software space was like hiring my VA. I'm hiring my VA. I'm hiring my right. VA. And I was like, no way. <laughs> like the last thing in the world I wanted was to be like supervising someone 6,000 miles away that I couldn't talk to in my time zone and that I had to explain everything to. And I actually, I tried it out like maybe two or three times because people would be like, oh, I have this great VA. And I'd be like, what do you use this person for? So for me, this is a constant. Anyway, never yeah, worked out. That, that's interesting because 
I, yeah. So I heard I want like to have a VA just sounds so like, I don't know, like luxury to me, you know, and I just always dreamed of having like an assistant to help me. Um, and, but when it came down to it, like, should I do this or not? It, I just, it just felt so hard to do. And I think if I can just read how she says it, like part of hiring is like, not only are you committing to paying someone for a set amount of time, but you're signing up for managing them and both setting expectations and holding someone to them. Yes. And that part, if they were just like a fly on the wall, like in your case, as an intern to watch and listen, but never, you know, there's no expectations. Oh, around no, no, them. no. In, in like the but, legal world, no yeah. intern wants to be on a fly on the wall. They want to like right. do work that's like important. And that's really scary for me. <laughs> I know it's I don't know where that point is, like that it's worth it to sit and teach someone how to do whatever you need them to do. And they just run with it and fly with it, which would be great. But it's just that part is so daunting to me that um, which is why we have not ever had one. Right. Like, you know, oh, goodness, in the traditional no. sense. Yeah, that's not a good fit for us. Yeah. You anyway. know, and one thing we've been talking a lot because we're having some transition right now in our company, which we're not going to go into details with, obviously, on the podcast. But um, we're losing a beloved team member and we're getting another one. And it's, it's, you know, it's transitional. So times of transition are always a little tricky. But one thing that I've realized is that you, when you're bringing someone on sort of as like full on into the, you know, envelope of the company, like full on as a team member, somebody who's going to be part of your daily interaction and communication, the, the, like they both have to have the skill set that you need and the personality type that you need. And we've been really lucky to have that in our company, but we like, and, and, the, the problem is that you're not always going to find that and find it very easily and find it in a way that you can afford. And so what has also worked really well, and I, this is just sort of a little bit of a tangent, but to throw this out there, is that for those cases where we couldn't find or didn't have capacity to bring on someone with a particular skill set who also could sort of be enveloped into the full team, we've had a really great experience working with very particular professional contractors or freelancers. So people who sort of stay a little bit at arm's length um, in the daily, weekly goings on of our company, they have particular roles that they play and that's all they do. And that's been great. Like that part, the contractual work part for me has actually been Mm -hmm. much easier and simpler and more straightforward. I think maybe because personality is not involved and maybe because you know, just expectations are so clear when someone is doing work on a contractual basis. Right. That's right. Like Annie, who does our podcast for us, hey, we Annie. give her the files <laughs> and she just does them and we don't ever have to correct her or no, she's a know, professional, like, right? She knows she, what she job. does better than we know how Yeah, we, like she just, and so, um, yeah, so that works. And we, we have other folks on our team that work on a contractual basis. And that is fantastic. And I would recommend to anyone who is just getting started, especially like so many of you, so many of our clients in our community are doing video-based work. Like video editing, for example, is something that if you don't feel like you want to take it on yourself and you have the resources, like that is something to outsource that's actually fairly straightforward. Social media, on the other hand, is a lot harder to outsource because there's a lot more sort of personality and heart and soul and like interaction that goes on in that. So like, I think the lesson there is both is, is really to think about what kind of person and what kind of connectivity do they need to have to the brand in order to do their job? 
where like, if you can think of something that's very discreet that you can give to a professional who knows how to do it really well, that in a way is much easier than bringing someone in who has to like understand the core values Mm -hmm. of you and your brand. I think a lot of people, I hear still a lot of people like, oh, I want to, I can't wait, you know, I want to hire my VA. And I think it's hard to fill that VA's, when you're first starting, it's hard to fill that VA's time and to supervise them and to communicate all the little ins and outs that a better way is, is doing what you said is just hiring a professional. Maybe it's just for, you know, to build out some templates for you or to, you know, restructure something like it's a kind of a one-time transaction um, and then it's over and then you don't have the ongoing cost of a VA. I yeah. think that's a, a great yeah. way to go. I think that's so. right. I think that's right. Anyway, we could go on. That's like a whole other series of episodes. We could go on about team How building. Build your team. <laughs> and we probably yeah. should at some point, but I think just know that this is like something that people don't talk about the hard parts about hiring and yeah. the hard parts about growing your team because it's not all easy and, you know, just sort of be aware of that. And, you know, I'm sure you all have stories to tell about that too. Okay. So the next point that Bonnie makes in this article is, is this the contracts one? Yeah. So tough contracts are your best friend. So we're going to not go into this very much because it makes Sandy uncomfortable. One. And... <laughs> Just just, let me just say the lawyer in the group says that, you know, I believe that it's important to legally protect yourself and set your business up for success. That means incorporating yourself, operating with certain contracts in place, um, taking certain legal precautions, having a separate business bank account, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not your lawyer. I'm not licensed in your state, most likely, or your jurisdiction, but just know that you know, take that stuff seriously. That's important. And I think especially in the online world, there's sort of like this cowboy culture and cowboy mentality around business that I think is a little bit dangerous and terrifying. And and I don't, maybe it's just me, Sandy, because I come from like litigious America and other people mm-hmm. don't feel this way, but you know, it is, it's true. Like if you, if you have anything to do with the United States, we're a very litigious culture and people sue each other and just the way it is. So yeah, that that's not such a Canadian thing at all. It's not it's such we, a Canadian thing, mm-hmm. but anyway, no. so but that's yeah, not one that we're super to... concerned with, thankfully. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next lesson that or truth that Bonnie unveils in this article is being friends with employees is a challenge, and it's okay not to be. So I'm going to defer to you on this, Sandy, because I think this is more in your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a challenge. Um, it's a little bit easier when you work online because you're not like side by side in offices all day or in the same physical space all day. Um, in my old world at the store in the clinic, of course we were friends. Like you spend so much time together. Um, you know, everything that's happening with their kids and their marriage and their holiday plan, everything. Right. And so, um, but I think that what I've failed sometimes because I did become too good of friends with, with, um, with my employees and I didn't draw a strong line sometimes. And so, but that, so that's very, very hard for me because of course you care about them. Right. And I remember I had to fire a manager who was at a fairly, she was our director of sales. Um, and it was horrible. And I knew exactly the date of her wedding coming up and, you know, her kids, what they were, what they were doing in their instrument, they played at the band, like all these crazy details. And I had to sit down and fire her just, you know, monetarily, we couldn't afford her. And so I think there's always this awareness that you may have to really disappoint this employee. And as long as you 
know that, you know, the relationship is still there. Um, they know that you're the boss and it could happen, but you just have to remind yourself of that. But I don't know how you can't be friends, you know, like, right. I don't I know, know. There's people who I, I know I had a business partner before who, who was like that. And she, she drew a very, very thick line between her and her employees purposely for that, but that's just her personality and it's not mine. Yeah. But I can't imagine. It's hard. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, I, yeah, uh, no way to relate to this. So I think the the lesson is there. It's an important truth. Like we should talk about it, but I think to actually put it into practice sounds very challenging to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the next truth is tell, don't ask people what you want. This is a really good one. This is a big one. Yeah. I think I just want to read the one comment under this point that she made because I think it was so good. What she said was, what do I wish I knew earlier that what I saw as asking nicely and being open-minded was really just confusing my team who needed clear, strong guidance and vision. And so that says it all to me because as the leader, as the empress of our empires, we need to be very clear what we need done and by when and we think we, we, we're being nice by softening it and like, do you mind? Can you do this? Do you think you could try and? And so those people who are working for you are, just wish they, you know, they, they don't see the, 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 the boss employee relationship the same way as you do. They're like, just tell me what you want. I'm happy to please you. I'm happy to do whatever my job, you know, needs me to do, but just tell me, like, be clear about it. And they don't see it as you bossing them around or you being rude to them or you being whatever to them. You feel that, right? But they're just like, tell me, I'll just do what, I'll do whatever you need to be done, but just tell me. And it's, ah, it's hard. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm, else to say. I'm terrible. Like, <laughs> I'm just letting you talk, Sandy, because this is like my weak spot right here. So I think this is something I'm extremely guilty of doing with our poor team and something that I actively am trying to be better at. And I don't even want to say try. Like I'm act- I'm actively doing this because this is really important. And I, for me, I have to kind of role play in order to deal with difficult <laughs> interpersonal situations. <laughs> it's the only way I function, which is why we have a whole module on sleuthing when we're talking about finding needs in our market. Um, because then like take on the the persona of an investigative reporter. That's easy. And for, for me, this is like, I just think back to teaching and I, when I could put on my professor hat and go and make a syllabus and have strict assignments and stand in front of a classroom and have that kind of emotional divider between me and the audience that worked really well for me. I have not been able to do that in any sort of Mm. like boss capacity very well yet. But, but like, if I can channel that part of myself, like that was fine. Of course, I'm not going to let a student come up to me and like demand, you know, that they have flexibility about a deadline for something or whatever. No, sorry, you're a student. You have to, these are the rules, like follow them, don't follow them, but you deal with the consequences if you don't. Right. And I could handle that as a, Mm -hmm. as an instructor. And I, I, I find it more challenging with team members because it's, it it feels like we're all just in this together. We're all doing this. Mm we're all just taking on all these projects and everyone has a personal life and everyone has different needs. Right. And it's, it's really hard to put that. 
it, it goes back to like the employee as friend thing, right? Like, yeah. And yeah. it's not, it's not like we, it's, I don't even think of anyone as employees. I just feel like we all work together. We all collaborate. Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah, it's rough. But there's, you have to, I always had to remember, this is when in the retail days, I always had to remember, I mean, I loved loved, loved being the boss. I loved being the owner and I loved leading them. And I remember um, saying to one of my clinical staff at one point, like, I have such a hard time asking people to do things for me because I think, well, I wouldn't want anyone to tell me what to do. So I don't want to, you know, put that on somebody else. And she was like, huh? Like she clearly <laughs> wasn't, he doesn't see the world through wow. you know, my eyes. And I was like, oh, not everyone wants to be the boss, huh? Interesting. And some people are there to do good work and to, yeah. you know, connect with others and to serve others and to help others. And they need some direction and they are appreciative of it. But I'm like, well, why would you want to work? Like if someone did that to me, I would just quit. So I always had this thing, like I am afraid to tell my employees what to do because I don't want them to quit. But I'm just, it's just, I'm just reacting to how I, it's, it's crazy, right? Because they're not people, thank God. It's a whole entire staff is not just like it's me. It's not crazy. It's, it, I mean, I get it because you said the same thing to me today, which is like, Jenny, not everyone is like you. Not everyone thinks like you. Not everyone is going to work like That's you do. Not everyone is going to, you know, take the certain steps that you would take in this particular situation we were talking about. And I, right. I think like, it's really hard to not know that like as right. yourself, that, that that's not how everyone like is. You? Yeah, that's mm -hmm. it's a bit of an eye opener, right? Yeah, well, that's why we are partners because we have but to remind each other. I, that. I think, I think we have to remember as leaders that there are people who love giving direction, or, or sorry, receiving direction, getting direction on what they want, being told what is expected of them, and to perform. Hmm. People like that, and I'm like, I, I, that is not me. Yeah. Like I, I want to set that. I don't want to be told what that is. Yeah. Well, um, I imagine that our community and our listeners are like us, right? Because right, <laughs> if you've caught the entrepreneurial bug, you probably are a little bit more of a ruckus maker. But I think it, I think it's important if, if like, I, I've been thinking about this point a lot since we read this and like our language, when we talk to other people, like if you have time, could you do this? It's like, no, this is, I need this done and I need it done by, you know, in within 48 hours. Like when we soften the language and we, that's that whole playing, playing small is like, do, do you mind doing, do you mind doing this for me? What's your job? Of course I you're going to do it. I know. I know. Of I course just, you're going to do it. Thinking about how I speak makes me feel a little bit sick inside because I do that. I know I do it. I hear myself doing it and I catch it and I'm like, why? Why on earth it, are you speaking like this It comes like from a place of kindness, right? Like you just, mm -hmm. you want to ask in a kind way. But I think there's um, some different rules yeah. going on there that, you know, if Al Gore asked you, Jenny, to <laughs> oh <my laughs> to do something, then... He would be very firm. Right? Right. And you'd be grateful that there was clear direction that he wanted you, he's chosen you to do... I'd be grateful that he asked me to do anything. <laughs> Right. So that's exactly it. So why is it any different? I mean, we're not Al Gore, but we're running a company and our team members have bought into it, have are are, are behind us, want to be a part of it, are excited to super excited to be a part of it. So let's ask for what we need and when and let them do their thing. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. It'll be really interesting to hear what our listeners think about this conversation. And our our team members. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're like, we're pointing the fingers at ourselves here, right? We're like Mm -hmm. guilty because we're, we're the, I, I will claim responsibility as being the source of this problem. And it's, and it's like, it's just helpful. I think that's why this article was so powerful for me when I found it. It's just, it's because it's real. Like this, whoa, this is real life. Like this, this mm-hmm. is a common thing, obviously that happens for, for entrepreneurs and for female entrepreneurs in particular that this, you run into these issues, right? So regardless of which, what stage you're at in your business, I think this is something that many people are likely to encounter. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is a tool designed to help you teach, train, and coach from anywhere on the planet. If you're a wellness professional looking to take your business to the next level, you can learn more at namastream.com. The next truth point is learn from and run toward all the things that make you scared. Oh, I love this one. I love, love, I love, love it. More. I love, love, love it. Yes. <laughs> we've done, we've done a whole podcast on this. Oh, so yeah, we, I think fear is such a beautiful, beautiful tool that we can use as human beings to make ourselves better and to, to do great things in the world. I think if you're afraid of something, there's a reason why you have so much energy focused on it. It's, it's a really interesting challenge. Yeah, I, I think there's a, some levels of fear here. So I'm in this big, huge, gigantic copy school copywriting course, and he and the teacher said something about, you know, if if you if if it's if it feels like it's pushing an edge when you're writing something and you feel like you're kind of you know pushing out of that comfort zone, then it's probably the right thing to write. And I love the idea of like. If you are in business and you think about something like starting a podcast or putting yourself on video or reaching out to an influencer or something like that, that's a little bit like, oh, you know, I'm a bit nervous. This really terrifies me that that is like a signal to go for it. But there's also a different fear like a different in you know, that feeling of being scared. Like there's an, like, <laughs> there's like a survival scaredness, right? Like mm-hmm. there's like, a, I'm really scared of, of something that's going to kill me or hurt me or, you know, whatever. That's totally different. This is like a, like an excited scared, like a, should I do this? Should I do this? Like the feeling that we had when we wanted to start this podcast, you know, it's kind of a little bit nerve wracking, but you're scared, but you're still so excited. Like there's a level of excitement about it. And that is a signal that you should absolutely do it. And to have, I love those moments when you're, when you make that decision to, to go full force at whatever it was, whatever it is. Yeah, me too. Now, the difference between us, Sandy, is that I have no way of making the distinction between those two kinds oh, of fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm, it's I, yeah. very challenging for me. So I require external forces present in my life to help me delineate when I'm attracted to the fear that will make Something's me dangerous. a better leader versus the fear that will put me in harm's way. So right. I, I don't know. I, th- maybe that's abnormal. That's abnormal. Okay. <laughs> But I still love it. I love the fear. It's crazy. It's crazy making. But it's, you know, if it doesn't kill uh, you, it makes for a really good memoir. Good, 
and a good yeah, I was gonna say a good story. Yeah, it's a good story coming out. That's, I still remember when when we were deciding to go into the accelerator that night, and, yeah. and then one of the deciding like that was scary, right? That was terrifying. And one of the deciding factors was like, let's just do it. It'll be a good story. You know, whatever way it ends, it'll be a great story. That's the truth, right? I, I mean, I feel like I've I've chosen to live my life for the most yes, part. Yes, you have. You you definitely that, have that rationale. Will this make the story better? Will this add a, a good chapter to the story? Mm. Why not take it on? Bring it. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm like trying to learn from my lessons from my my life so far, so that I can. <laughs> I'm a little more conscious about those things, but, but, but like for everyone else, cause enough musing about my weird attraction to war zones. I think if you have butterflies in your stomach about something then, and it's related to your business, like there's nothing that's really going to endanger you in your business, right? Like no. you should not take out a large bank loan or something like that to fund your online endeavors. Like do not do any of those things. Um, we just we did. I saw you commented on that Facebook post. I saw a Facebook post from yeah. someone we know today that was yeah. ta- anyway talking about a business coach telling people to take out twenty five thousand dollar bank loans to fund the course. I've never anyway. I cannot even imagine. Right. Anyway, so like unless unless you're dealing with that kind of magnitude of shady, there's nothing you're gonna do in your business that's fearful. That's that can, that's like gonna hurt you as long as you're being smart and. You, you know, have a bad, obviously, a like not Facebook doing life. anything legally, like legally dangerous or financially dangerous to you, yourself and your family, then then like go toward the fear, run toward the fear with open arms, because honestly, what is the worst thing that's going to happen? Like maybe you're going to get a mean comment on Instagram, right? Like it's yeah, OK. We're, we're really bad Facebook live. Yeah. Yeah. That happened. I think everyone gets a few of those. <laughs> that's a, yeah. That's just like, ha- it's a rite of passage. <laughs> okay. Okay. Next the one. Next one. Okay. This one is really good. We've, we sort of have done a podcast yeah, on touched, this one already, which is it. there is no such thing as work-life balance. Nope. No way. No, it's so talked about. And it was Shonda Rhimes. I think I mentioned this in a past episode, Shonda Rhimes. I remember hearing your interview talking about this just there just isn't you either one of those two aspects are always suffering like you're never in balance so yeah and, and I, I'm okay yeah. with that it's just like accepted yeah I don't I mean I don't think most people in entrepreneurship circles are talking about this because it's a little bit insane but but I mean my adage the the rule I follow about this is that I believe you can have it all just not at the same time so that's my personal kind of way of like what, what am I making space for now? Because when I'm hustling really hard in business, I'm not giving as much time to my family or to my creative mm-hmm. pursuits or to anything else. And that's the way it is. And then there are other times where I, the, the pendulum swings and I know it's this way for you too, Sandy, and you feel mm-hmm. the need to step away and yeah. have more personal space and time for family. And it's just, it's a cyclical rhythmic sort of in an endeavor, you know, and if it's not, then you should really question what you're doing because sometimes I take a whole Saturday off. That's why I have to wild, huh? I just have to, like, yeah. I just can't do it. And then yeah. I feel so much better. And then there'll be times where I don't even want the weekend to come. Like I just need to do finish this, whatever I'm working on, you know? So yeah, it's just, it is a pendulum back and forth and it never just yeah. rests in the middle. Yeah. And I think, I think everyone sort of has to decide what that 
it's not a balance per se, but you have to decide what that ratio is for yourself and what works for you and your family. And at any given time, it's going to change, you know, based on if you have children or how old they are or anything like that. Right. Okay. And then the next point, it's never too late to say you're sorry. I'm Canadian and say sorry all the time. So I don't really understand this one. I just apologize for everything, even if it's not my fault. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, we have like a heavily Canadian centric team. So this- and I say sorry, not sorry. 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 <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's good. That's on See, good. I am, I'm getting there. Okay. Yeah, so I don't good. even want to talk about this. I have a complicated relationship to apologizing. So I don't feel, I feel like my, my thing is, is like obviously take responsibility for something, but, but also try not to do things that you have to say sorry for. Like, <laughs> Back it up a bit. That's kind of <laughs> my rule of life. Okay. And then right. the, Okay. The last two sort of like go together. So maybe we can talk about them together. So one of them is sometimes when your company grows, you grow away from the part you originally loved. And then the final truth point is it's okay to walk away. So how do you feel about those? I think that first point is where a lot of people get stuck and aren't able to scale. And I know you and I struggle with this, like what should we do ourselves versus what should we hire out or, but eventually there's going to be a part of you, your, your, your responsibilities will not be that thing that you initially started. However, I really think that the owners and the, you know, the C-level people should still be in touch with the core of their business, even if it means an hour a week or like talking to customers or getting out on the, you know, floor to teach or to work that retail floor and make a sale. You know, like I would never want to be fully, fully removed from the core base of the business. So yes, you need to kind of pull away and do other visionary type things and bigger, higher level stuff. But I would always hope that there'd be that tie to the actual people that you're serving. Yeah, I totally agree with this. I, you know, I think the hardest thing for me has been giving away tasks that were yeah that were really dear to my heart and my life like when you mm-hmm. came on board Sandy it was at a really it was a weird thing because we went into the accelerator and i sort of stepped away almost completely from something i was giving my heart and soul to and the daily operation of the company and dealing with with our customers and our clients and our demos and just everything and to me it was like night and day, like I, all of a sudden my whole world just got ripped away, you know, and I was Mm -hmm. doing something else. I was learning how to talk to investors investors. and make spreadsheets. And (laughs) it felt very removed from, um, from the daily interaction of our, of our business and from our clients. And even now, so we are doing a few, we do a handful of calls. We're, we're sort of two-on-one where we do a little bit of private consulting or sometimes we'll, when we sell a package on a webinar, we'll give away a free a call, a bonus call with the two of us. And I always feel like, gosh, they take up so much time when we have them on the calendar for the week. And then as soon as we do them, I feel this like tremendous, immense happiness and sense of joy and peace because that's the whole reason we mm-hmm. do this work. And to have 90 minutes or 60 minutes to sit and talk with one of our clients and brainstorm is basically my favorite thing 
that I do it, that we ever get to do. And so I, you know, obviously like you cannot only do that when we run a software company and sort of an online business school, we cannot, we just did that all day, every day, like nothing could exist Mm -hmm. and the company couldn't exist. So obviously I see the reason why that's not all we do, but when we do get, when we do do it, it's to me, it also, it makes us better leaders. It makes us like better business owners. It informs our next set of features It you know, it just, sure. yeah, it's so important. important. And, and just like emotionally fills the cup. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So I don't hope that we never, you know, lose that, that part, that connection. I mean, there's going to be other things, you know, we do some fairly menial stuff, each, each of us. And hopefully, you know, that stuff we'll, we'll be happy to give away, but I just think it's really important to, to stay in touch with the, truly the people that you're serving and what they need and to hear them and to listen to them and help them. And yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. And I think for the solo, like sort of the solopreneurs, and I know a lot of our audience are, you know, single one woman, one man shows. And even for you, I think regardless of outsourcing or bringing on someone else to take over some of your tasks, like I think as you grow, as your business grows, even when your list grows from like 30 people to 300 people, your job starts to change. Like you start to do, do spend more time, say doing email marketing or making opt-ins versus talking to your prospective clients in person. Like that shift happens really early on, I feel like in an online business. And so it's not always just about, oh, bringing on someone else to take over tasks. Like you start to transition the way you work you know, at every stage of your business as your business grows. And I think it's important to realize like what, what you're good at and what draws you in, what drew you into starting your own business in the first place and making sure that you're keeping space for that to exist at whatever stage you're growing into. Yeah. And then that final point, Sandy, what do you think about that one? Well, of course it's, it's okay to walk away. Of course it is. It doesn't matter how much money it's making. It's all about the joy that it brings you. And if you're sick and unhappy and making millions, then yes, walk away. Um, well, that's what I you did. That's, that's why I, I thought that point was so like profound minus, for us minus to talk the about. Millions, minus the millions. Yes, I did, did walk away because it was a great business. It was great. It, on paper, it was perfect, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. So I walked away and it was the, one of the hardest decisions, hardest phone calls I ever had to make to tell my business partners that I was leaving. Um, but yeah, it was the best move ever, you know, we need change. And so if you start something and need to, to transition into something else, then it's just fine. You know, you can, it's fine to give up something that you created when it's just sort of run its course. And I have another take on this one too. And I think that even more relevant, I think to most of our clientele, cause I think most of our clientele and our community and our listeners are not necessarily walking away from one business to start another, for example, like you did, Sandy, Although, you know, you are still walking away from maybe a different career or walking away from Mm -hmm. a different set of circumstances. And I think even when we're unhappy with what we're doing, it is also there's a lot of pressure on us to keep going. So say we went to school for a certain thing like for me, right? Like, sure. Yeah. I walked away from a lot. And a lot of years of school and a lot of like a lot of responsibility and an entire identity, like my entire identity was wrapped up in my career. And I sort of walked away from that. And I think it's okay. I I mean, it's still a big like same for you, right? Like it's still a part of who you are. It, It has molded who you've become. It molds like how we 
you know, our shared experiences mold the company we're building now, but it's okay. And so for all of you listening who are sort of about to make the leap or in the process of making the leap to really start in your own thing and start or starting to take seriously your own thing, it it sort of necessitates that willingness to, to walk away from at least a part of what you were doing before. Do you know what else I walked away from that I just realized and when you were talking there? What? I, I started a holistic nutrition diploma here in Canada, and uh, I had done all the courses part-time for over two years, and I was on the last course, and it was case studies, and I wrote up like 12 case studies or something, and I submitted them all, and then they choose like three or something, and I didn't do very well on one of them. I had to redo one of them, and I walked away. I didn't want to do it. I was just done. I walked away and I went fully into the software. And so I was like one case study away from getting wow, my holistic nutrition. I didn't nutrition. realize that. And that was, that was because I was working with Julia Aurora at the time. And uh, I was telling her like about, well, you and I had started talking and I was working on my other business, Connectable. And that was so much more fun and joyful. And I realized with the holistic nutrition, I was getting into the same time for money trap and I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. Like I love the topic and interest in nutrition, but I do not want to tell people how to eat, what to eat. It just, I realized I just didn't want to do that work. And so she was like, well, walk away. I'm like, but I can't walk away. I've got one thing left to do. She's like, well, will you ever, do you need those letters behind your name? Like she just kind of put things in perspective and it didn't really matter. And so I didn't do it. And some of my friends were like, well, you deserve to get those letters. Like you deserve that. I'm like, no, you don't it's care. not about, you don't, I don't need care. it. I don't want to do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So I walked away. Right. That's anyway. right. I think that's brave. Like that's, that to me is so, it's the embodiment of being brave, which is part of our little motto of how we run this company. Because I, I, I mean, there's every single signal from your brain is telling you, you know, every sort of like cognitive signal is telling you just do the practical thing, do what, finish what you right. started. Right. Finish what you started. Everyone Why is going to be looking at what, what you like that you didn't finish or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And what kind of person will you be if you don't finish that or you walk away from something that you've invested so long in? And I think yeah. that that like listening to your intuition and your gut in that moment is, is just, I don't know, it's the right thing and the brave thing to do. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a Never good story. So I think we, we each have a couple of truths that we want to share or at least one. I have two. You might only have one. I think I only have one. Okay. So we're just going to add those on. So some of our truths are similar, right? Some of them are in line with what Grace Bonnie talked about in this article, but, but we also have our own. So mine are, my first one is leave room for grace. And that is just about the fact that success is not always going to come in the same package that you imagine it will. Like it doesn't always look the same as what you picture on your vision board or in your Pinterest board or when you're sitting down and journaling about the life you want to have and the business you want to have. And I think that when you adhere so strictly to a certain image or set of images or bullet points of what you want success to be, you can kind of miss out on it um, by not realizing that it comes in other forms. So that is what I'm That's calling just leave room for grace. And then the other one is just the long game, which we've talked about a lot. And that's like the lesson, the biggest truth that I've learned is that building the kind of business that I want is a long game and it's going to take a lot longer than I think I thought. And and part and of that six is six months. 
wait, six months. <laughs> I had very <laughs> unrealistic expectations. <laughs> Three and a half years in, folks. And we're, you know, I'm, I'm there, but it took, it took like three years to get where I wanted to get in six months, but I'm a hundred percent as committed as I was six months in. So that's the good news. <laughs> so Sandy, what is the one you wanted to add? Well, it is that you don't have to know it all. And so it kind of comes down to, to speaking the truth. And I just found, you know, as a empress, as a leader of your business, of your empire, that you do not have to know it all. And it's okay to admit when you, when you don't know and to ask for help from your team or your employees or friends, family mentors, whoever. Um, I think that people who often run their businesses try to pretend like they're sort of this, you know, ego, like I'm the boss, I should know it all, but you can learn a lot from people around you. And just to kind of admit when you don't know. And I've also found that if I've ever in a, st a sticky situation and I don't know what to hand, how to handle it is to, to tell the truth. Like just say like, here's what's happening. And I don't know, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do here, but the truth is this. And I just feel like whenever I've done that, it has always sort of smoothed things over and uh, with whoever I'm speaking with. And it just makes it easier to always be really honest and you know, people relate to you more, whether it is a customer or a staff member or a team member, just tell the truth, which is funny because when I wrote this, I forgot that we're calling this truth. Yeah. So. It's a perfect way to wrap it up in a nice yep, little package. Nicely. Yeah. Okay. Joy and hustle. Okay, joy and hustle. So you have the joy. The book that we're referencing in this, the, the book by Grace Bonnie that we referenced at the beginning of this podcast episode is the joy and that book, again, is called In the Company of Women. And it's a beautiful coffee table book featuring stories of hundreds of women who are makers and artists and creatives. And so if you don't have a copy of this book and you haven't seen it, I would go to the bookstore and have a look because it's it's sort of something you want to see with your own eyes and hold. It's like a tactile experience to sit down with a cup of tea and read this beautiful book. Hmm. I haven't seen it. I'm going to look for it. Okay. I have the hustle this week and I am so, so, so excited about this that I would, I want this to be an entire podcast. Um, so I didn't want it to be the hustle, but Jenny made me, it's called, the book is called deep work rules for focused success in a distracted world. And it's by Cal Newport. And I think it just came out last year, but you know, Jenny, those times when you feel like the whole day goes by and you feel like you've not really done anything. Cause you've just been in Facebook dealing with this and then you've pulled into Slack to do, you know, or the like, Russians are trying to hack your website, which, <laughs> which was happened, my day yesterday, which happened yesterday. Yep. They almost got Namastream up for ransom. This book is about how to pull yourself out of those kind of working habits and allow yourself to do some deep work, some deep creative thinking, because he's saying that there's with this whole like digital world out there, we as owners can hire anybody for anything from anywhere in the world. So the local pool of talent is irrelevant. So you might be a great web designer here, but we're going to go over to India or Pakistan or, you know, Slovenia and, and, <laughs> and hire someone because we can. So you need to be the best at what you're doing. And the way that you can be the best is you have to have these deep periods of work of like really is this serious flow, work. Sandy, is this no. the same as flow? It's not. I never. I've never read that book. That, that where that idea. I, I don't know. No. Let Let me just tell you. 
I'm not going to say the author's name because I didn't know we were going to talk about it and I didn't practice the pronunciation. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. Well, we did talk about it. Remember, you had, a, you, you had to I do a YouTube video. I have to actually practice saying it like three yeah, or four yeah. times before I'm no. going to say it on the podcast. Yeah. So he's defining, he's made this term up. Deep work is professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration. What is that? That push your cognitive capabilities to their limit. And these efforts create new value, improve your skill, and are hard to replicate. Anyway, I'm not very far into this book, but it's like, this is what we all need as business owners. We absolutely need to master this for us to be the best at what we do. So we're going to do a whole podcast on it. Let's just I'm excited. I think that means I probably need to read the book. You need to read the book. Yeah. I'm ordering it when we get off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Please do. All right, everyone. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's truth. Business, truth, life. That's what we wished we had learned three and a half years ago. (laughs) Have a good one, everyone. See you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Soulful MBA is not just the name of our podcast. It's also the name of our premium business course and community. If you are a wellness entrepreneur who dreams of growing your business online, but you're not clear on your next steps and you wish you had someone to guide you, then we've got something for you. Get Soulful MBA's first syllabus and three free video lessons by heading over to soulful.mba sample. Soulful.